Welcome to Giving Connected, presented by Paisa Giving. We're happy you're able to join us today. Giving Connected was created to bring awareness to great nonprofits around the country. Hey everyone, today we're going to be interviewing the president and CEO of Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities, Jonathan Zuer. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? Going well, how are you today? Very good, very good. We're really glad to have you on. Thank you for taking the time to join us um, today. So um, as we dive in here, you know, um, one thing we just like to talk about who we've, who we're interviewing and, uh, you know, just let our audience kind of get to know you. So if you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, you know, what you went to school for, and maybe just uh, like what led you to work in the nonprofit area. Definitely. Well, I really appreciate the invitation and the chance to chat with you both and, and chat with your listeners. Um, I grew up in New Jersey. I was born in Illinois, but we moved to New Jersey when I was fairly young. And my grandparents, my father's parents were Holocaust survivors. And so from a young age, I had been taught about values of um, standing up to prejudice and um, being kind to others and showing respect and understanding those types of things across groups. So that was a message that was sent to me from a young age. Um, my mother was a social worker. Um, she's now retired, but uh, was very involved in the helping field. And so um, my sister and I, as young kids, would go and help serve meals or uh, help out at the senior center when she was working. And so um, that was also a part of our upbringing and consciousness. Um, I didn't necessarily have a sense that nonprofits were in my future, but I knew that I was committed to community and to giving back. Uh, at, as a high schooler, I had the chance to go through a really transformational experience in the summer. It was a summer youth leadership uh, diversity program with students from across New Jersey and the chance to connect with folks from different racial and religious backgrounds, range of different identities, uh, and learn about the, our similarities as well as our differences, I think helped um, give meaning to these things that I'd been taught about or, or modeled as a child, but didn't necessarily know uh, what to do with. I went to the University of Richmond, uh, which is what brought me to Virginia and studied uh, leadership studies and rhetoric and communication studies. Those were uh, my majors. Didn't necessarily see uh, that there was a very obvious path, but knew that I wanted to do something that really allowed me to pursue my passions and, and the nonprofit sector has uh, certainly been a, a wonderful venue and outlet uh, for me to be able to do work that I uh, deeply care about. Yeah, that's, that is amazing. I think the, that sense of, you know, that common sense of kind of giving back, right. And I think we've, me and Prince have talked about it with a lot of different profits. It's, it's a kind of selfless spirit that people often talk about, right. That wanting to kind of, um, regardless of where you are, that sense of you want to continue to give back, right. Yeah. Community building and just being able to kind of, um, you know, reach out to different communities and give back, like you said. Yeah. You know, I think that's so al along that path, where did, uh, the Virginia center for inclusive communities come and how did you join them? Yeah, so uh, when I came to the University of Richmond, I uh, was involved in community service, was connecting with different nonprofit organizations. This actually was one that as a, a sophomore in college, I connected with and did some volunteer work uh, with. Again, didn't know that this would be a, a career, uh, just was something that I was passionate about and, and wanted to give some time to while I was a student. Um, as time went on, it became more and more of a, a serious 
uh, pursuit. And, and so first actually graduating from college, I was coordinating a grant program focused on a bias after September 11, 2001. So reaching out to connecting with the Muslim community, Hindu community, Sikh communities in the central Virginia area, uh, really trying to bridge some of the divides and misconceptions that existed in the early 2000s. Uh, and sadly, a lot of those relationships are still important relationships to have today because the bias has continued and the misunderstanding has continued through the present. Um, but then at, that grant program concluded and I wasn't sure what was going to be next. And uh, an opportunity came up uh, back in New Jersey and, and went up there and worked for a few years. And then my predecessor at VCIC at the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities reached out to let me know that they had an opening for a program director. And uh, so it seemed like an interesting possibility, came back and was facilitating our organization's programs for a few years. And then when he retired, or gave me the wonderful opportunity that I have uh, today. That's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, obviously being able to like reach out and especially around that time or in the early 2000s after September 11th to be able to reach out to communities that are feeling like bias and prejudice. I think that's uh, really incredible that you were able to work in that area at that time. And I'm sure even now, especially in like the last year or two, I'm sure the need for people in your area of work with your expertise has grown significantly. Thank you. Yeah, the demand has been uh, unfortunate and, and overwhelming. And, and I think the relationships that um, my colleagues and I have been able to forge have been really important and meaningful. So uh, when there are incidents of bias, um, people think to reach out to the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities, both those who are feeling targeted, who want support to hold vigil type events or uh, other types of solidarity programming, uh, but also people in the community who say, I don't know anyone from X population or Y population, but I wanna reach out I want to let them know that they're not alone. I want to let them know that their neighbors care about them. And, and so we're able to serve as that bridge and that facilitator and connector. Uh, so it's heavy work and, and uh, painful work at sometimes, but also I think uh, really meaningful and important uh, both before the pandemic, but I think even with the pandemic, when people are feeling sure. even more a sense of uh, separation or feeling disconnected, being that bridge uh, is an important part of our organization's work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I think um, kind of shifting to ex like what we just talked about, you know, kind of the history and how it started. And can you tell us about the focus and the mission? I think the history, especially, is something very, very interesting. You know, if, especially you can, everyone can go on their site, um, you know, in inclusiveva.org. Um, and I think it gives a really good backstory. But if you want to take a second and, and kind of tell us a little bit about it. I'm happy to. And, and I draw inspiration from our organization's founding. I have nothing to do with it, but I think it's an amazing uh, history going back uh, to 1935. Uh, in the 1920s and 30s, there was a documented rise in anti-Semitism, anti-Catholicism, xenophobia. And uh, you know, folks were trying to figure out what to do about that. And religious leaders, uh, primarily at this point in New York, uh, came together um, and some civic leaders did as well. So there were some legal folks from the legal profession, folks from the social work profession some politicians all came together and said, we need to stand up against this rise in a bigotry that we are seeing. And so the signature program that this sort of grassroots group came up with was something called the Tolerance Trio, which I think is a cute name. And basically they sent uh, these rabbi, priest and minister teams all across the country 
to speak to communities large and small. Uh, and on uh, many communities, it was small rural areas of the country where folks had never met someone who was Jewish or who was Catholic, and they would be able to dispel some of their stereotypes, ask the questions that they always uh, had, uh, and, and really humanize those who prior to these events, they perceived to be maybe the other or someone to fear. In 1935, these religious leaders, the Tolerance Trio, uh, spoke in Lynchburg, Virginia, which is a small community in uh, central Virginia. Nearly 1,000 people are documented to have come out to hear these religious leaders speak on the campus of what was then Lynchburg College, now the University of Lynchburg. And those who were in attendance were so inspired by what they heard that they went back to their homes and their schools, their workplaces and their communities to start local chapters of our organization. At the time, we were the Virginia office of uh, the, uh, the National Conference of Christians and Jews, which was the group that had formed out of New York uh, and took about 10, 11 years later when they finally added a staff person. So in the mid 1940s, they added a staff person in Virginia. Uh, and the organization's work was interfaith in nature, bridging divides, but given the time period, particularly in the 1950s and 60s, they couldn't only be doing interfaith work without addressing uh, the civil rights movement, without addressing racism. Uh, and there are lots of interesting archival documents about the debates and the arguments that uh, the board had in the 1940s and 50s and 60s about how much this organization should stray from its initial mission. And ultimately, many of the leaders said, we can't be about understanding and respect without being about those things for all. Uh, and so over time, our organization's mission broadened to think about interfaith work more expansively, uh, to address issues connected to race and class, gender, sexual orientation, immigration. Uh, about 15 years ago, uh, we relaunched as the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities uh, as we became an independent nonprofit in Virginia. Uh, so our name now better reflects the broader work we've been doing, but we still are really proud to trace our roots all the way back to 1935. Yeah, and it's something that you you said, I think it was really, really nice. And I think that's something that I always often think about is some of the prejudices that we have, right? Um, I think they often be, can be dispelled by just, you know, seeing somebody, talking to them, like getting to know somebody, right? Mm -hmm. You know, from another side that you think of, oh, they're the other side, just talking to somebody, getting to know them just as a human being, you know, usually can dispel a lot of those things that even I have things about, right? So I think it's something really cool that, that kind of just spoke out to me um, and, and kind of the work is important, right? Especially from the founding that you, you talked about till today, I think it's, there's a lot of things that we're still improving and as, as humans, right? We're still proving every day. I think that's important. And then kind of talking about, you know, what are some of the programs that you guys do? Where do you, where do you guys focus on? Maybe if it's schools, communities, where, where does that help go to? Yeah, our work is with a range of institutions across Virginia. We work with schools, with businesses and with community groups. Um, and with schools, uh, the bulk of that work is focused on two fronts. One is with students where we're helping them to break down stereotypes, where we're uh, addressing bullying and helping them to become upstanders instead of bystanders. So we have a range of workshops, forums when we're not in a pandemic, retreat type programs where we are able to bring middle school and high school students together to be able to uh, break down uh, those maybe messages that they had heard about other groups. Uh, and then take on leadership uh, to be inclusive leaders back at their school. Similarly, for colleges and universities, we're able to do work with students 
but then both at the K-12 level and the college and university level, we also do work with uh, educators, faculty and staff at those institutions. So there's a lot of professional development to address achievement and opportunity gaps, uh, to ensure that classrooms are climates where all students feel a sense of belonging, where they see themselves reflected in the curriculum, uh, where they feel a connection to an adult. And, and what we know, what research backs up is when those things happen, students are more likely to show up to class. They're more likely to raise their hand. They're more likely to do their homework. When schools are inclusive places, they're much more successful. And so uh, certainly it takes work, but in some ways this isn't rocket science. We need to really just put the energy and effort uh, and proven methodologies into our school uh, settings. That has been a core part of our work for a long time. More recently, we've had businesses, workplaces say, hey, what about us? We are either sponsoring your school programs or uh, our, my child went through uh, one of your programs. What can you do for us? And so we've built out a range of professional development and consulting services for businesses to help foster more inclusive and equitable workplace environments, professional development, training, consulting, uh, ranging from Fortune 500 companies to small uh, family startups, law firms, uh, media company, you name it, we've probably uh, been able to work with them in the last few years. And then we still do a lot of work that is in the community space, which is uh, really honoring and, and dating back to our founding, which could include work with nonprofit organizations, it could, uh, government agencies, both at the state level as well as the local level. Uh, and then we uh, facilitate community dialogues, forums that help to bring groups together uh, and give people the skills to be able to uh, increase inclusion within their spheres of influence. Oh, that's really awesome. I like, um, you know, what you're saying about like, especially with schools and young kids and, you know, especially in school, like kind of developing young leaders and that whole professional development idea starting from a young age in teaching kids like to be inclusive with other groups and other ideas. I think that's so important. I think especially in the last year, we've, you know, the year or two, we've seen how, pressing the need for that is that we're more inclusive and then kind of what joel had mentioned earlier that idea of like just being able to spark up a conversation and become a little bit more aware a little bit more knowledgeable because that in itself can remove quite a lot of prejudice and bias and so many other issues that are yeah. really especially recently just kind of in our faces all the time in the news all the time you know in the headlines constantly so um i think that's awesome you guys have so many great programs that really are influential in a vast spectrum of areas um so what can you tell us a little bit about the humanitarian awards and, and what exactly that is the humanitarian awards are events or, or recognitions that we provide. Uh, these are special events. They, we've held them as dinner events going back to the 1960s. Uh, and we recognize individuals who live out our organization's values. Um, I'm told that in the 1960s, this was a really new and innovative idea to bring the community together to say, let's recognize the pillars of our community um, initially given that we were founded as an interfaith group, there was uh, an honoree that was from the Protestant community, an honoree from the Catholic community, an honoree from the Jewish community. That has, that has not continued to be the case, although we make sure we have a widely diverse uh, group of honorees. Uh, but we really want to lift up and celebrate those who are uh, modeling and, and bringing our community together, the same types of values that we're trying to spread through our student programs or through our other work. 
The other nice thing about the humanitarian awards events is that these are a source of uh, revenue for our organization. So individuals and organizations uh, sponsor the event and then the funds that we raise allow us to be able to do our work with schools, our work with communities at significantly reduced rates or, or at free rates so that um, when an incident happens of bullying at a school, for example, they can't, they don't have to call and say, well, we don't have any money, so I guess you can't come. We can show up. We can do the work that's needed to learn and heal and, and move forward. The humanitarian awards are held in four communities across Virginia. Uh, we are really, really proud that uh, if you were to walk into one of those events, you're going to see a widely diverse cross-section of the community uh, in terms of race and ethnicity, in terms of religion, in terms of other aspects of identity. Um, and it really has a feel of uh, something like a family reunion. So there's a lot of connectedness and camaraderie. Uh, it's a feel-good event where the honorees are celebrated and lifted up, um, and then folks are inspired to do their part in public ways, but also behind the scenes uh, to make the community more inclusive and just. Oh, that's awesome. It sounds like it's like a really awesome uh, event that you guys put together for the community and for that area. So uh, obviously, you know, we've kind of mentioned the, the headlines over the past year between a lot of the racial things that we faced. And then obviously COVID is no secret. Um, but in terms of those two things and just in general, what is the biggest challenge that um, you guys have faced so far just in the last year and just in the history of the organization or for the time that you've been involved there? Yeah, we've really seen a steady stream and then it's been um, accelerated significantly of, of increased consciousness, I think, and uh, interest in our organization's programs and services. I would say that's particularly true over the last uh, 10 to 15 years where uh, our the number of staff have increased, the number of program requests we get a year has increased significantly, number of people we're able to reach each year has also been growing. Uh, but that has been accelerated even more so as we think about the last year. So one of the significant changes that resulted from the pandemic was that up until March of 2020, just about every single program our organization facilitated was in person. Uh, these were uh, intense, personal, immersive experiences. Folks are in the room together or they're offsite at a retreat type program. Uh, and so in March of 2020, we had to say, okay, how do we take these experiences that uh, we feel are based in proven methodologies, that we have evaluation, feedback that tells us they, they work, and how do we translate them into a virtual uh, platform? Some of our programs, we've been able to make that pivot, and some we've said, you know, we're not going to be able to take a five-day, four-night retreat experience <laughs> and put that on Zoom. It just isn't the same type thing. So, we're really proud that we were able to figure out how to make our programs impactful, interactive, engaging in a virtual platform. And then yeah. certainly we saw uh, the end of last May into June after the tragic killing of George Floyd that so many institutions across Virginia were and across the country and the world were really seeking out opportunities to uh, learn and to do uh, significantly deeper work in terms of advancing inclusion and equity. Uh, and our organization was honored to be able to be a partner. We had uh, over 200 urgent requests in June and July uh, of last year from institutions that said, you know, we need VCIC's help. And so we were able to dispatch our team to be able to do that. Uh, and that work has continued to the present where uh, we're now helping folks not just do the one-time workshop or program, 
but really think about how that fits into a broader organizational commitment and strategy uh, that a school district, that a corporation, that a house of worship, uh, that a government agency might be able to uh, apply and advance uh, that could measurably uh, improve a sense of and a climate of inclusion within their uh, institution. Yeah, I think it's pretty amazing. I mean, like for an organization, to be, especially in the last year, to be able to pivot and meet the challenge uh, presented by COVID and then beyond that, the meeting the challenge of like all the um, racial like motivated headlines in the past year. I think, you know, that's been, you know, it's important that every organization pivots to meet those challenges, but to be an organization built around this idea of inclusivity and, um, you know, kind of helping promote a more inclusive world and, uh, you know, promoting that viewpoint, I think it's really impactful. I'm sure that you guys were able to pivot and meet that need. Yeah. And, and kind of on that, on that need, you talked about methodology, you know, when, when you are going to some of these places, what does that look like? You know, for, if you are going to environment, is it mostly, you know, education, uh, is it more train? Does it like for businesses, is it more training? How, how does that process look? Yeah, and I guess actually, if I could expand on Joel's question yep. too, you know, how does the what does a methodology look like? But then also, um, you know, so if you put it specifically in terms of like um, everything that's happened between the killing of George Floyd and all the other tragic events we've seen over the past year, like how do you actually approach that subject? Because I know for a lot of people, that's a very touchy subject, and you know the world is filled with people with a thousand viewpoints on everything. So as an organization that's striving for inclusivity, like what, how do you approach that even? Yeah. We think about our work as being a process of awareness to action. Uh, And so when we're working with institutions, we're trying to figure out what is the level of awareness that folks have at the beginning. Uh, Sometimes that might involve Uh, conducting focus groups or doing a climate assessment, conducting interviews, really making sure that we understand uh, and have a a pulse on the institution so that we can then uh, provide whatever types of programmatic interventions are going to be most valuable and meaningful to them. Once we have that pulse, then it's about uh, providing that training type experience. And and so the awareness there is a self-awareness to start. It's often about helping people to understand what's your own lens, what are the things that Uh, You come to understand about yourself and the world around you, learning about others in your community. uh, So that could be through facilitated dialogue, pair share, small group type experiences. It also could be sharing some information, data, statistics, uh, video clips that help to lift up and amplify uh, voices and perspectives. And then we work with groups to make meaning of that. What do you notice about the similarities and differences? Why is it that Uh, I, your listeners can't see, but I, as a white person, don't fear if I am getting pulled over by the, hopefully I don't get pulled over by the police, but if I am, (laughs) I don't have the sense of fear that my friends, my coworkers who are black have, like, let's make meaning of that. Let's understand that. That's not a, I'm right and they're wrong or they're right and I'm wrong, but let's make meaning of that together because clearly there's something there. Um, And then once we have that better consciousness about self, about others, and about the issues, then we can work on, well, what are the actions that we can take? And those might be uh, skills around dialogue or conflict resolution uh, at the interpersonal level. At an organizational level, it might be, how do we want to spend our money to make sure that we are aligning our values with uh, our spending. So do we have a supplier diversity program for a corporation, for example? At a school, it might be looking at our whose history are we learning? 
uh, and whose perspectives are, are not being heard or honored. Um, how do we make sure that uh, if incidents of bullying are reported, that we are taking them seriously and that uh, teachers know how to address them well and administrators know how to address them well. Uh, so it's tailoring based on the specific context, but everything we do is uh, very much about this idea of awareness to action with the opportunity for introspection, the opportunity for dialogue, the opportunity for uh, issue awareness, and then skill building uh, is really where we leave folks so that they can go forward and apply what they've learned. Yeah, I think one thing I've seen is like sometimes just like seeing things from a different perspective can actually help really um, bring understanding to a lot of different situations. And I think sometimes as humans, we just kind of fail to look at it that way. But yeah. I think like when you teach people like, okay, let's look at something from a different perspective. And then on top of that, let's also um, find an appropriate way to respond to things. Because again, like when you bring awareness to things and um you bring like bring knowledge into a conversation. I think like it can really shift the tone of a conversation. And um, sometimes like, you know, things can go from being like often like combative to being actually a really productive conversation where people are having like beneficial conversation that's promoting growth and, uh, you know, community building as opposed to like separating communities. Yeah. And to go off your point, I think to both, both your points, I think it's so important as, you know, especially what this organization does is I think it brings people to the table, right? It brings things to the table yeah, that you, definitely. we could talk about, right? Even maybe me and Jonathan, me and Prince, we don't all share the same opinions. Maybe we have complete different opinions, but it's just about having that time to talk, right? And discuss. Maybe I feel different from Jonathan. Maybe I don't, right? But it's, if I think a lot of times, especially when you, it's so, especially social media, things get amplified. So it's like this and that you have to believe one side, but I think it's so important, you know, um, you know, I've, I've had these, I've had situations where I've, like especially with my company and the trainings and stuff and other people from different perspectives talk and it's always good because I'm I don't know how some another culture does certain things or how they feel about certain things yeah. so it's so important um, and I'm, I'm really glad uh, you guys are doing this and kind of pushing that out so kind of on that on that touch you know if somebody's hearing this and they do want to get involved you know how how would how could they how could they take some action how can they get involved in the community how can they support uh, what are those steps yeah so I think generally, um, and, and this is hard given the climate in which we live, but I, I think one of the really important things is for people to step out of their comfort zones and, and to do so not when we are in a moment of crisis. A crisis is the worst time to try to start building trust. <laughs> so if I go up to someone of a different racial group in June 2020 and say, hey, let's talk about race, that's going to be a very tense conversation based on what's happening in our country versus if we'd had that conversation a few months uh, conversation a few months prior, that doesn't mean it's going to go perfectly. Uh, but let's really think about how do we uh, step out of our comfort zone. Um, that also means that we need to really trust other people's stories and experiences. Um, one of the challenges that I think really comes up right now is that if it if it didn't happen to me, there is a tendency to say, "Well, I can't believe that happened to you." I heard someone. Uh, using a, a helpful analogy to think about this, he said, you know, I need to trust people's pain. He was talking about when his wife um, was in labor, was giving birth. And he said, I've never given birth. Uh, but if when she's in labor, if I say, oh, it, it can't be that painful, you know, you're, you're going to be fine. Everything's okay. That's probably not a supportive or helpful response in that moment. Uh, and so even if it's not my lived experience, it's really important to be able to trust someone else's pain, trust someone else's story, trust someone else's truth. 
Um, and then the other piece, I think, at the interpersonal level is that when I do hear something that I disagree with, to initially respond with wonder rather than judgment. Uh, so if I immediately say, well, that person's an idiot, I can't believe they would say something like that, uh, then I've shut them off. Or if I block them on social media or change the channel on TV, I've missed an opportunity. Whereas if I respond with wonder, it allows me to at least pause and say, I wonder how it is that we both live in the same community. We both go to the same school. We both work at the same organization. And I see the world this way. And this person sees it completely differently. It doesn't mean I need to agree with that person. It doesn't mean I need, to, I need to give up my identity or values or anything else. But simply by taking that moment to reflect, I think there's a real opportunity to respond differently. So those are at the personal level. At the organizational level, in terms of getting involved, there are lots of organizations like the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities all across the United States. Uh, and so I would say really seek out uh, opportunities to learn to be exposed to different cultures or groups uh, in ways that are not tokenizing in ways that are not minimizing someone else's experience uh, and in our case at bcic i think visiting our website inclusiveva.org there's a take action section which has lots of opportunities to get involved there's also a resources section where people can uh, read different articles click on different links learn about different issues uh, and that's always a really uh, well-visited uh, page on our website. And, and there are lots of other great uh, tools and resources that are out there that I would encourage people to check out. Yeah, and I definitely check it out. I think it's uh, it kind of seeing it uh, when you go on the website and, and looking through detail, it, it helps to kind of yeah. understand what, what uh, you're kind of looking at and what you're focusing on. I think it's important. So yeah, I, uh, I think with our one of our final questions, and I think Prince had mentioned this as well, um, kind of as you've, you know, come and of course you, a lot has changed within the last year, right? With after COVID. So, you know, ha has the mission changed throughout the years? You know, of, of course, from the, the founding, it's changed, but has it been more refined? And what does the future look like? I don't think the mission has changed. I think that the urgency probably feels greater than it did. Uh, so, um, we as an organization are really committed to doing a few things. One is meeting this moment. Uh, and that means that we need to add more staff to be able to keep up with demand. That means that we need to uh, have the capacity so that when folks are putting in these requests, we're not having to schedule their programs three, four, five, eight months out, but <laughs> we can get them on the calendar and, and meet their urgent needs. And so we're committed to doing that. And I'm grateful to our board of directors and our staff team for really stepping up in, in those ways. I think the other pieces in terms of how we are evolving our work is one, we're really interested in becoming more proactive than reactive. Uh, the last few years, uh, certainly in the last year or two, but really I would say in the polarized political climate in which we found ourselves uh, over the last eight, 10 years, 15 years, uh, there's been a real need to not just respond when incidents come up of bias, bullying, discrimination, but to do our part to get ahead of them. Uh, and, and sometimes I think we've been more playing catch up as, as crises have happened than being proactive. And one of the ways uh, that we have done that in the past year that we want to build upon is we developed a day after election guide that we sent to every school in Virginia, uh, every public school and independent school. And this guide was put out in August of 2020 to say there is a polarized presidential election coming up 
And we need to make sure that you're not waiting until the day after the election to address these issues with your students, which is in many cases what happened in 2016. And so that thought leadership piece had uh, over 10,000 visits on our website. Uh, we had folks from all over the country reaching out, looking for tools and resources that teachers were able to implement with their students, both virtually as well as in person. Uh, and we wanna put out more thought leadership pieces like that that can help folks with tangible practices and tools they can use to foster inclusion. That's awesome. Um, so obviously like this is a pretty uh, important topic, you know, in terms of inclusiveness and um, inclusion of different communities and just understanding, especially given the climate of the world right now. And I think the mission that you guys have is really important and critical, um, especially in this day and age. So um, as we end, if you can just give our listeners and you know, we want to give them something they can take away and like utilize as they finish listening to this podcast even. So if you could give them like, what is one piece of advice, something you've learned um, by working with VCIC or uh, something that you kind of try to teach, give everyone as a takeaway point um, that they should use as far as like being inclusive and like what they should learn, what's something they should like mm. some food for thought. Yeah. Uh, it's a great question. Um, I, I think, one of the things that has become more and more clear is that inclusion requires intention. Uh, so if I'm not being intentionally inclusive, I run the high likelihood of being unintentionally exclusive, of leaving someone out, of marginalizing someone, of making someone feel different or less than, or supporting a policy or practice that might not equitably serve all people. And so I think that in every uh, interaction, in every issue that comes up, I think if I can and, and your listeners can pause and say, where are the issues around inclusion here? Whose voices are not being heard? Whose perspective might be overlooked? Uh, how might different groups be impacted by what we're discussing right now? Just that pause and that perspective taking, I think, could go a long way uh, towards humanizing the quote unquote other um, and uh, really helping us work, move to the next level in terms of the commitment to uh, and the realization of greater inclusion. Yeah, no, that's that's such a good statement. Inclusion really good advice. Intention. I think that's something that I, I'll try to repeat myself as well. I think it's it's important to know. And I think that um, you know it sums it up as you know this is uh, such an important discussion and, and conversation, regardless of where you're at or what place you're at. I think there's so much even from you know that I can improve on, right? I think it's an introspection on each person, right? That I can be more loving and kind and uh, more respectful to every person I see, right? And I think it's... Um, Our intentionality behind it. Yeah, and I think it's it's important, I think, and we appreciate you coming on. I think it's, um, it's a really great mission, great work. Um, and, you know, I just suggest everyone check out their website, their social media, um, you know, give them a follow and, and support them um, kind of throughout the process. I think just like it starts with it starts with one conversation right i think it starts with one conversation just talking to somebody you don't know you don't agree with right i think that's so critical as we, we've all mentioned is that just like you had mentioned you don't probably don't agree with them but you ask them and i, and I really love that you ask them why right and you're yeah. wondering curiosity curiosity yeah. is so important i think it's um it like a lot of times we just build divides right a lot of times yeah, so. as opposed to like building a wall why not just like break that down and instead of like shutting it down and closing off the conversation one that's just like you said wonder have some curiosity ask what is it that you see differently in this particular topic but um jonathan we do want to thank you for joining us today and uh just telling us a little bit about vcic yep thanks jonathan thank you really great to chat with you both and i appreciate all you're doing as well
Hey guys, just want to thank you for taking the time to join us. Um, it was a great conversation with Jonathan. You know, there's, you know, we could have went probably for hours talking about um, not only their organization, but some of those those issues that we deal with at, at a societal level, right? I think there's so much that we can kind of focus on and, and improve on. I think it's a great conversation and, uh, you know, we're yeah. excited to push this out and hopefully you guys listen to it and also, you know, share and, and uh, kind of support them as well. Yeah, I mean, it's an organization that has a cause that is, so prevalent and so important to what's happening in the world today. I think the thing that really stuck with me that he said was that idea that inclusion requires intentionality. And I think that's a huge takeaway, if anything, from this podcast beyond learning about the organization. It's a good lesson that we should um, take going forward. Yeah. And I think, as we mentioned, everybody has different viewpoints, right? I think it's not one way is the right way. I think it's, you know, between me and whoever's listening right now, there's going to be a million different ways we think, right? But it's about just talking about it, right? If I disagree with Prince and if he disagrees with me, I say why, right? And why why do we disagree? And let's bring it to the table. I think that's what we, like we talked about in the episode is a lot of people don't want to bring it to the table. So it's like mm-hmm. harboring. It's like a just kind of growing, right? So I think well, it's, it's... It's what he said, you know, you're closing the door on resolving yeah. what could potentially be a conflict when a simple conversation can resolve any issue take out years of pain and whatever it is right yeah so. for sure um but uh we'll have links to our social media in the description of this podcast and uh you can uh go to their website check out their social media and just support them and support what they're doing we're excited for our episode next week we're going to be joined by feed my starving children you can find that podcast available next monday this has been prince and joel giving connected <laughs>